0: Good evening friends and fellow Pettyheads, Kevin here coming to you live from Saskatoon, Canada. Well, not live obviously, this is pre-recorded, but it was live when I recorded it. Okay, I'm just blathering on now. We have a very special episode today uh, and I just wanted to give you all a quick heads up that there is some profanity in this episode. Um, It's not gratuitous at all uh, and it's all in the context of actual conversations Um, With various people. But if you are of a a sensitive disposition, maybe give this one a skip and I will put up a a bleeped version or a kid safe version in a few weeks. Uh, Anyway, that's all from me right now. Let's get into this amazing conversation that I had just a couple of nights ago. Okay, good morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever you are, folks. My name is Kevin Brown and I am the host of the Tom Petty Project podcast. If you're expecting to hear an episode all about the timeless classic song American Girl today, I'm sorry to have to disappoint you. That'll be next week. Luckily, there's a very good reason that I'm not talking about that song today, and that's because tonight I have with me Rock and Roll Royalty, the man whose stubborn refusal to have anyone say no to Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers debut album meant that it was eventually played nationwide. We all know what happened to Tom and the Heartbreakers in the next 40 years. What you might not know is what happened to the man behind the scenes. It's my extreme pleasure and very great privilege to welcome John Scott to the podcast to talk about his memoir, Tom Petty and Me, and about all things Petty. Hello, John.
1: Uh, You know, I'm so glad to be here because I admire what you're doing. It's called the Tom Petty Project, and you put your heart into your podcast. I can tell.
0: Absolutely love it. And you put your heart and soul into this book. So that's a great place to start. Um, Why on earth? that a guy who's, who came up through from being a DJ and a PR guy, why did you decide to write a book?
1: Well, I was I had been writing a book for two years about my adventures with The Who, Leonard Skinner, Olivia Newton-John, Tom Petty. And when Tom died, I mean, I was working, I had a partner on the project, but I told him, I said, I can't write about The Who or Johnny Mellencamp, John Cougar, yeah. or Mellencamp or... I can't write about any of the who i gotta write about tom and one night before i started writing i had a dream and i have dreams and a lot of fans do as well i have dreams that tom he, he speaks to me and he yep. told me to call my book tom petty and me in a dream yep and some people won't believe that and i believe it whatever but um and i got up at three o'clock in the morning and i typed in GoDaddy and i typed in TomPettyandme.com. Yeah. And it was available. And I just went click. I started writing the next day. All from I didn't have um, I didn't have any notepads. I yeah. didn't have any, I guess I have a lot of pictures, but I didn't have any notepads as far as <clears throat> remembering things. But they all came back to me in a flash. Right. And I just started writing and it's the hardest thing I've ever done is to write a book. Yeah. And I've done a lot of, of it, whatever. But uh, it's, it's it's tough. But I feel like um, I did what I wanted to do. I I wrote a book that you could read on an airplane from you know San Francisco to to New York or whatever. I didn't want a six hundred page yeah. Bob Dylan you know biography that you can barely finish one chapter in a night. still yeah. Dylan his childhood, and that's something <laughs> I did not want. And I, I did have one kid who said, um, well, it was kind of short. And uh, I said, well, that's the way I, I wanted it to be. Yeah. I want people to be able to read it in one sitting. I, I mean, I have people who they, they tell me, I've read your book for the third time. I'm still picking up little nuances, like the faxes and yeah. you know, stuff like that. But, um, and the other great thing is I have so many kids, um, buying a book and saying, "Please dedicate this song to my dad, who turned me on to Tom Petty when I was 11 years old." Yep. And of course, that tells us Tom Petty is multi-generational.
0: 100.
1: It will never change beyond our lifetime. Yep. And that's because he was a genius at writing songs.
0: And well, my, my my I was telling my youngest daughter um, came to me two or came to me and my wife two years ago and said, "I want a, I want a record player." Just out of the blue. And we didn't have a record player in the house. Just out of the blue. And she's very tactile. She likes real books. And she likes real things. Well, so bought her one. we bought her a record player. The second album she bought was Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers Greatest Hits. That was their second album right out the gate. So I was like, wow. I've raised this one well. <laughs> How old was she? She would have been 12. Thir- yeah, 12 or 13 you know, right that's then, yeah. the
1: funny thing about it. I get, like I said, I get so many people saying, my dad turned me on when I was 11. And dedicate this song to my, my dad. It's like... I said, you know, I stop sometimes and go, "Wow, yeah." There's not a lot of artists that are multi generational. Not like that, no.
0: No, I don't think so either. No, I don't think so. So, do you think that is is any part of that? Because I know that you're a Southern boy as well, like Tom, and maybe we'll start there. Maybe we'll sort of get into a little bit of. Obviously, we know a lot about Tom Petty's uh, upbringing, and I know that you were born in Memphis. Well, no, Um, I wasn't. Oh, you weren't born in Memphis. Was that where you were raised?
1: My mom was um, my father was in the navy, and my okay. mom went to Fort Myers, Florida, and I came early. Okay, I was born actually in Florida, which is one of the things that Tom and I Tom and I said um, the night I went to his house. And I said, "Where were you born?" He said, "Gainesville." I said, "Well, yeah. I was born in Fort Myers." He said, "You're from Florida," and my mom took me home to Memphis because so that's where my mom lived. Right, and my father's still in the service, but we were in memphis and and what a better city to be in to hear oh, music my god no you hear, you'd hear the, the the first um the first african-american station i believe was in memphis called wdia rufus thomas was a dj there okay and they played you know sister rosetta tharp and bb king and 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 i i got to hear all of that it's like yeah music is like I feel like it's running through my veins sometimes yeah and um uh, of course my father he never wanted me to listen to WDIA like he didn't he didn't want me to go to Beale Street either don't you yeah. ever go down Beale Street and I kept going I don't get it. why I don't understand. yeah
0: and so do you think that was because of the music you were listening to at that time was black music it is black music so it's, yeah. that's that disconnect between well there's this sort of social tension between the races but the music is the same we're all playing the same music why is that do you think that was my, what I played into that
1: my father was listening to um, you know how much is that doggy in the window By <laughs> right. and, you know and i there was a dj in memphis called dewey phillips he's the first dj who played elvis presley okay and um i, I was listening that night the rocket uh, in my mind that that night was rocket when rocket was born I used to have a little transistor radio, and I cut out a, a big book, big, thick paper, I mean, a thick book. I yeah. put my transistor radio in the book, and I, would, I was supposed to be at a 8 o'clock, and, and 9 o'clock, Dewey Phillips came on. If you don't know about Dewey Phillips, Google Dewey Phillips, and you'll understand what I'm talking about.
0: I absolutely will, yeah.
1: Um, and um, so I, I, hid, I hid my transistor radio in my book and just... At nine o'clock in the night, I was supposed to be asleep, and that's when he came on. and In nineteen, what was it, fifty five or fifty six? Right. I heard Elvis Presley on the radio, and they played it. This guy played it ten times in a row. So I feel like (laughs) I witnessed the birth birth of rock and roll.
0: It must have just been amazing, though, because there was nothing that really sounded like that, right? No, no no one sounded like that, and no, certainly no one moved like that. You know, right.
1: Exactly. No, you're still totally right. And and my father, like I said, was listening to how much is that dogging in the window. Yeah. Here I am trying to get down to Beale Street or buy Elvis Presley records. Or
0: so was your mom musical? Was she? Was she into music or? My mom. Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, my mom was. Um, she was great. She 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 is my angel and one of my angels. I got two. One is my daughter and one's my yeah. mom. And she uh, would used to call uh, radio stations on Saturday morning. A station that did requests yeah and she would always call and her brother she had five brothers and she'd call them hey play a song for the, the slankard, the slanker family yeah and they would do it and she would just start laughing
0: <laughs>
1: and my mom when she did that i wanted to do anything in my life to make her laugh yeah yeah and so I told her at that time, I'm going to become a DJ. I was 10 years, 10 years old or something. I don't know. I want to be a DJ. And she encouraged me all the way. They bought me a tape recorder and a microphone. Yeah. And I just, you know, played around with it. I don't know how old I was, 12, 13. <laughs> and um, I just read and took a magazine and read stuff out of the magazine. Um, and then I found out there was a radio school in Memphis called um, keegan's school of broadcasting johnny cash was uh he he went to keegan's institute of broadcasting oh really i didn't know that yeah okay before before me Mm -hmm. and um i went there i mean i I dropped out of school to do this because i'm going i don't want to learn business in college i don't give a damn yeah Just want to be a dj and so my father said you got to pay for the dj school yourself and so I got a job at a movie theater and, yep. uh, you know, Tom had a, a funny meeting with Elvis at one time when he, when he went to, uh, he was 10 years old, I think, but yep. uh, I worked at a movie theater. I was the guy behind the candy counter and <laughs> Elvis rented out the movie theaters, you know, at midnight and I'm thinking, and my boss said, Hey, just give them whatever they want. If over with popcorn, whatever, you know, yep. Reese's bar, peanuts. And so uh, about 50 people would come in, friends of his, because he rented the theater out at midnight. And all of a sudden, Elvis starts walking towards me. And I'm going, oh, my God. <laughs> freaking Elvis is coming over here by himself. Uh, and my, I'm really I'm shaking. And he goes, <laughs> uh, how about a couple boxes of those <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm literally shaking, handing him the bottle of... raising this and you know what he said afterwards thank you very much (laughs) thank you thank you very much
0: (laughs) yeah had to right you had to
1: (laughs) yeah it was like you know and i'm having like a 16 year old 17 year old kid working to to my way to get to be a dj and yeah water by the way me too and um so i went to work for mca records in 70 1974 and uh, the first person that came, well, I get a call like the second day on my job saying Olivia Newton-John's coming into Memphis. Let me get that petty And <laughs> uh, <laughs> Olivia Newton-John is coming into Memphis and we want you to take her to Nashville to meet the station in Nashville. And She has a new single out. Right. And so she came in Memphis and um, I met her at the airport. I met, I met her at the hotel. I had a limo pick her up. And she's just absolutely gorgeous woman. She's so sweet. Yep. And we had like two or three hours left before we had a meeting with Scott Shen, who I don't know if you know who Scott Shannon is, but Scott Shen is one of the most important figures in radio uh, in America, okay? And um, so um, she came and I'm just going to throw this stuff out to you. Okay? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. yeah. She, she came, I met her, it was 106 degrees in Memphis, and she got to the room, and she said, can I, can I take a swim? I said, yeah, we got two hours. I'll just sit here and read Billboard magazine. Yeah. And so she goes, she goes in and, and changes into an Australian bikini. <laughs> and she walks in, I'm going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I've never seen anything like this.
0: Just, so, so, I'll just interrupt that. Are you married at this point? Yes, I am. I'm okay. married. So you have I, to be good.
1: No, yeah, you know, you don't mess with, you don't do that too when you're working for a record company, but you, you might think about it. But um, so I said, yeah, go ahead and go. And then all of a sudden I hear her go, ow, before she gets out of the room. And I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? She said, I lost my contact lens." And we had, the room had shag carpet. So I'm <laughs> down on the floor looking for a contact lens. And all of a sudden, I look up and her butt is right in my face. And I'm going, oh, this is going to be a pretty good job as a promotion. <laughs> <laughs> but we found, we found, the, we found the, uh, the contact lens and she went and had a swim. Oh, nice. But anyway, we did go to Nashville. Yeah. And MCA would gave me a cassette of all the new releases that were coming out. And so we decided to put it in the cassette machine. And as we we're driving to Nashville, which was which was a trip, driving with yeah. me and John, my God. Anyway, um, she we would say, oh, that's pretty good. No, that song's not very good. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, a song called Depot Street came on. And we both went, that's pretty good. That's a nice little reggae song. And she said, yeah, but they've got this kind of a silly name, Mudcrunch. <laughs> and so I but I went to the radio station. I got it played by on the station. And I called my boss, my first ad. I got my first ad. It's Mudcrunch. And he goes, John, it's only a single. There's no yeah. album. Nobody cares. It's on shelter. Just work Olivia Newton-John's record. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And, um, of course, Mudcrutch comes back into the book, as you, as you know. Yep. Um, and I, I completely forget about Mudcrutch. I don't, I don't even knew, knew who the lead singer was. All I know is I like the song.
0: I think everyone outside Gainesville forgot about who Mudcrutch were, right? Everyone in Gainesville oh. loved them outside Gainesville. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They used
1: to do a lot of free concerts in the park. Yeah. And, yeah.
0: and it's a, I, That's the thing. I've heard that before. It's a, it's a, I think it's a great name for a band. You don't forget it. It's the name that sticks in your brain because it is weird. you know.
1: <laughs> well, it's so funny. I, like I said, when I went to the station in Nashville, they said, yeah. oh, this is a cool song. We're going to add it to our playlist. And little did I know there's only three stations in America that had added it, Mud Crush to their playlist. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a cool song, you know. And it came back around four years later, three years later to serendipitously yeah um bond tom and i at that point we're not at that point yet but
0: yeah so how did you when did you first hear john mellencamp and what sorry johnny cougar as he was then um and what was that whole process
1: well that was a pretty funny process um i had listened to the johnny cougar album and there were two or three songs that i liked some of them he did cover songs of jailhouse rock yeah, whatever. And I was like, well, that's he's not Elvis, but there's three songs that I really liked. And every Monday, there's a meeting of all the staff in MCA the promotion people, the sales people, press, par- press people, and they're in one room. And everybody's blaming everybody, of course, sales people blaming this guy, whatever. But yeah. um, at the end of the meeting, the president goes, Is anybody ever this record by this kid named uh, Johnny Cougar? And, I looked around, nobody else had raised their hand. So I raised my hand and said, yeah, I kind of like a few of those songs in that album. He said, which one? I said, well, it's called Chestnut Street Revisited. He put it on and maybe 30 seconds later, he took it and tossed it it into the garbage can and said, who would play a fucking record by some kid named Johnny Cougar? (laughs) Oh, his manager, Tony DeFreeze must've gave him that name. And the yeah. minute I heard Tony DeFreeze, I you know thought David Bowie, which you know, our station had been playing for a long time. Yeah. And after the meeting, I mean, I, you know, I I started thinking, man, bands careers can be just thrown away in thirty seconds. And and it, that's the sad part of the business, but um, yeah, it happened. But um, after the meeting, the A and R guy who had signed them which the, the president said, who signed this guy, Johnny Cougar? And the yeah. A&R guy said, I did. And he said, why? He said, well, because of a couple of demos and he was managed by Tony DeFries, David, Bar- David Bowie's architect. Yeah. And David had fired him by this particular time. So I think he thought, well, Johnny Cougar is the new Midwestern Midwestern David Bowie. Right. and um, uh, he which, said, which he so definitely
0: I, isn't. <laughs> Well, very very different
1: well yes and no i mean you know he doesn't his new song is with bruce springsteen they do a duet right and um, um anyway after the meeting the AR guy comes up to me he said do you really like some of these songs i said yeah they're pretty cool songs and he said do you want to go see them and i went yes yeah, sure he said nobody's ever seen them live at the company where do I have to go? He said, Seymour, Indiana. I'm going, Why? where's Seymour, Indiana? And I find out that it's like an hour outside Indianapolis. And right. I fly there. And um, you, know, you can edit some of this stuff out. That's it's fun. Yeah, it's fine. It's pretty cool because I get to Seymour, Indiana, and I'm meeting with my fellow MCA a Cleveland promotion man named Dave Lanco. But I get there, and there's this parade going down Main Street. And I'm going, it's not the 4th of July. It's not Memorial Day. Why yeah. is there a parade today? And the you know baton twirlers were out there and the mayor's waving hello to everybody. And I keep getting closer going, what the hell is going on on a Saturday in Seymour, Indiana? And um, all of a sudden I see a Cadillac, a, a limousine. Okay. One of those things where the guy could stand up and wave or whatever. And I see this kid with a rolled up sleeve with cigarettes in his his pocket, and I get closer. Going, it says Johnny Cougar Day in Seymour, Indiana, and I'm going, what? Why? No way. Why is there Johnny Cougar Day? And but funny, I get as I got closer, there were three kids uh, along the route said, "Hey, Melon you're fucking Johnny Cougar!" Ha ha ha, ha, ha. And, and so <laughs> I'm completely intrigued now about what. And John and John just shot him back the finger. Yeah. And uh, I will say that John John Cougar usually the I'm sorry about this, but the word fuck is about the first thing out of his mouth every kind yeah. time. Still, yeah. is. I've got lots anyway, lots of
0: lots of friends like that.
1: <laughs> anyway, I went back to the hotel, met Dave, and we went to the diner next door and see a picture of Johnny Cougar on the wall. We're going to the waitress. She came said, like, who's this guy Johnny Cougar? I mean, we knew, yeah. But she, oh, he's our local rock god and. A lot of people don't like him because he's a tough guy, but there's a lot of people that do like him. And uh, so, David, I went to the concert at the uh, Seymour, Indiana National Guard Armory, maybe 250 people. And uh, uh, we walk in thinking we nobody knew we were there. And a guy comes up and says, hey, are you the two guys from MCA? And we go, yeah. He said, well, I've got your seats. So I'm going to myself. Well, we were, we were thinking, well, if we sit in the back row, he's not very good. We'll just leave. Yeah. And uh, so we're walking down the aisle. And all of a sudden, we hear these people in the audience going, hey, there's the two MCA guys. There's <laughs> the two. And, and it's like, so he, they sit me on the front row, right under his microphone. And then the lights go out and a girl is on a harp playing somewhere over the rainbow. And I'm going, what the hell is this? Yeah. And then John Cougar comes out, a big sign lights up John, Johnny Cougar. And he comes out acoustically and plays the first song. And he, I'm under, right underneath his microphone. And he plays the song that I like Chestnut Street Revisited. Right. He was right. kind of looking, looking at me like, what do you think now, Mr. MCA guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, and I was totally the minute we heard that song. My my partner Dave Blanco and I knew we knew this was something special. And uh, the band came out and they, and he had so many great session players. Kenny Art is it Arnoff? I'm not Arnoff, sure. Arnoff, yeah, yeah. He was he was his drummer. That was his drummer. I didn't even, I didn't know that was his drummer. Wow. Yeah. And uh, and Kenny's gone on to have a great oh. career. I mean, you know.
0: Absolutely.
1: Um, big time career and uh, they just the, the band was called tiger beat johnny cougar and tiger beat okay and we we went after the show afterwards and that we were told not to really tell him if we liked him um, because they were gonna they were they were gonna drop him from the label yeah and then our guy kind of went out on a limb and said so Hey, go see him nobody's ever seen him from MCA. And the minute he did that song, me and my buddy looked at each other like, oh, my God. And then Tiger Reek came out and they were tight as hell. Yeah. And he just kicked our ass. And with the second song, we're going, oh, my God, this kid is incredible. Yeah. But really, we couldn't after the show, we couldn't really say, oh, I love you. You're yep. great. Right. <laughs> because <laughs> NCA was considering dropping him from the label. And how
0: old, is, how old is Mellencamp at this point?
1: I'm guessing 1920. Oh, man. 20. So
0: just a kid.
1: Like a kid. As a kid and, and, yeah. and the song that I like was called um, Chestnut Street Revisited. Yeah. And it's, the lines in the song are, I'm just a small-town boy being used like a toy working from nine to five. Yeah. And um, anyway... Um, so he goes. When are you guys going back to Los Angeles we went, tomorrow? And he went, No, no, no. You guys got to stay. Come over to my house. Spend the night in my house. Get out of that crappy motel you're in, which was had shag carpet, right. a lava lamp. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. And so we went. Well, okay. And I, I went back to my room and kind of check, you know, get my stuff together. And I called the MCA A and R guy that night. I said. Um, um bob is his name he said john why are you calling me this late and i'm going johnny cougar is a freaking superstar do not drop him from the label he yeah. said john are you high I went, well my friend and i did have one joint yeah. but this kid is incredible and so he said look it's, it's it's late let's go over this when you get back to los angeles on monday and so we took up John's um, invitation to go to his house, and we get there, and it's like a 40-acre house, yeah. gigantic house, 40 acres of land, and we're, I'm kind of going, well, this kid is either rich or whatever. It turns <laughs> out it's, it's his parents' house. Yeah. And um, so we we spent the night with John that night. My partner, Dave Lonco, and I spent the night there. We talked to him Well, we played a flag football game. I don't know if you want to hear about this, but I'll just throw it in. Yeah, throw it in. Yeah. So John Mellencamp says we're, uh, we had the barbecue, and it's like a, a Norman Rockwell picture of the, you know Indiana, <laughs> and uh, I was on his team, and he threw a pass to um, one of the guys in his band. Slag like football. Yeah. And he goes, and, and the guy drops it. He goes, "You son of a bitch, don't ever effin' drop a pass from me, son of a beehive, you know whatever." <laughs> And uh, then all of a sudden, the other guy said, "Oh, you hate hey little bastard! Shut up!" And that was his nickname, <laughs> the long bastard. Anyway, so we spent the night there, and and, and we, you know, we're sitting around drinking. What do you think of my name? And I'm going, "Well," he said, "Yeah, you hate it, don't you?" I went, "Well, I I, I think John Mellencamp would have been better." He said, "Well, my my, my manager, Tony Defree, said nobody could pronounce Mellencamp. So you're really? either, either going to be Johnny Cougar or Johnny Puma, and I've decided you're going to be Johnny Cougar. And John did not know this until the records arrived at his house. He opened them up, and he's Johnny Cougar. He, was, he was pissed. Yeah. And um, so I went back to Los Angeles, told the story of you know what we saw and heard, and nobody. I don't think they really were believe this. I think yep. they we we're just two stone guys. But no, we saw it. And we heard it. And um, um, at that point I said, you know, I think I can get this record played. That was my job to get records played at radio stations. Yep. And when I would call stations they'd go, Johnny Cougar is at a top 40. I, I would call FM stations. That was my job. Album promotion. Yep. And uh, no, it's not, a, it's not a top 40 guy. He's like the Midwestern Bruce Springsteen doing the same thing as a And everybody go, oh, yeah, that's right. Sure, sure. (laughs) And then and um, so at that point, some stations started adding the record. And I'm going, well, I got a shot here. And uh, all of a sudden it started slowing down. And um, I worked at Universal Amphitheater and had an idea to rent a Cougar and take him to all the radio stations in Los Angeles, take him to Tower Records, and just uh. create a buzz. Don't tell anybody we're coming over with the artist, just saying we're coming over with Johnny Cougar. And the first station we went to, they went, you're out of your freaking mind. We're, <laughs> not, we're not going out to, Well, the, the animal had, a, the Cougar had a handler. Right. And, and she said, oh no, it's been in Tarzan movies. Declawed. <laughs> but he was growling. And so, um, so and, it's, she, and it's a cougar. It's a freaking cougar. It's still got two. Freaking cougar, it's a live yeah. It costs us five thousand dollars. I have to call Universal Casting and say, Wow, I would like to rent a cougar tomorrow. <laughs> and and the guy said, uh, can I talk to your boss? Like, <laughs> talk to my boss. Anyway, it cost $5,000 uh, with the Cougar and the handler. And is going, are you crazy? Somebody can get killed here. And I, actually, I didn't think about that. But um, um, so we go and, and pictures, the pictures of Tower Records made the trade magazines. And um, so I'm going, well, you know, we've got some traction here. And uh, it was still tough. But I thought to myself, there's a station in Cleveland called WMMS. One of the biggest stations in America. And they played okay. with Bowie just like my station did in Memphis. So I thought, I'll fly to Cleveland and um, get them to add Johnny Cougar because they know who Tony DeFries is like I did. Yeah. And I got there and they were going, we haven't even listened to this record because his name is Johnny Cougar. Is this like... Uh, top 40 record We're like, oh no 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 it's like you know maybe bruce springsteen yeah anyway they said well we'll meet you my music director. i'm not gonna listen to it program director wouldn't even listen to it and he said i'm gonna give it to my uh, music director and, and let him listen to it so i thought well we have a chance so the next morning we meet with the music director and the program director <clears throat> music director comes in and says hey i love that kid johnny cougar and i'm going oh, to myself i'm going like, great the program director said, well, I don't and we're not playing it. Yeah, And I blurred out, well, I'm just going to in Cleveland until you add the record. They started laughing, of course. <laughs> I don't know why I said that, okay? Like a lot of times in my life. <laughs> but um, they started laughing, you're going to be here for a while. And so our plan was every morning the next day, we take morning guy breakfast, give him a Johnny Cougar record and leave. We go to lunch, take the guy at lunch, a record, and he was going, This isn't going to work, John. And we take the guy at dinner at dinner, and we saved it. Actually, we saved a join around the back of his record because he was the nighttime guy. Yeah. Anyway, we did this for six days. Oh, my, my. And um, my boss is going, Why are you staying in Cleveland for six days? Well, (laughs) because. I think I can get them to have this record. And um, so, my friend, well, not my friend, my partner, Dave Blanco at MCA Records said, I have an idea. I mean, this is on the sixth day. I'm going, oh my God, seventh day. Anyway, he said, We're going to smoke them out tomorrow. What do you mean? So, <laughs> he goes upstairs, gets this scrapbook. And I'm thinking, well, he's got pictures in there or something. And you open the scrapbook, and there's on each page, there's like six big size baggies and each one oh, of like, for example had moroccan you no know, uh panama red 63 and then a piece of hash it was like moroccan uh whatever 74 he was a pot connoisseur right so he said we're going to smoke them out tomorrow that's my plan i'm gonna tell him we're going to a new restaurant i can't find it and we're going to just smoke them out so we picked him up and And we started smoking right away and it looked like a Cheech and Chong car with smoke coming out of the car. (laughs) And so, you know, all of a sudden the program director says, where is this restaurant? And David, it's around here somewhere. And so he pops in the song I like, Chestnut Street Revisited. And the program director turns around and said, you know, this is sounding better than it did the other day. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but, uh, uh, so we're going to add the record, John, just go home, get out <laughs> of here. You've been here six days. And I go back and uh, tell my story. Yeah. And so a few stations around Cleveland started adding the record, you know, Toledo and different, because MMS was a big, a big station back then. Okay. And, um, so um i'm going so i feel I, i've got the biggest station in america playing the record now little stations around it and they the president comes to me and says stop working this record yeah and i'm going i can't stop i just got the biggest station in america to play this record he said i don't care stop working johnny Cooper. we're going to drop him from the label. we don't like him the first meeting here in los angeles he told the head of international promotion to go fuck himself <laughs> we don't like his music we don't like his name we don't like his manager Stop working the record and i said i can't yeah and they went yes you can you're fired just like that 11 o'clock in the morning i'm i'm I said i've been at abc i mean at mca for months maybe a year going yes yeah. like for a kid from memphis this is like a dream yeah being on the back lot of universal studios but anyway so you know security guard walked me out to my car and I had, a, I had a nice parking lot with my name on it yeah and I left going home going what the hell just happened I was just doing my job yeah and uh, they only gave me one week um, um, what do you call it one week um, like, a, like a severance thing yeah severance thing I'm going yeah and so I went back to the to the presence you no know, it's it's standard that people get two weeks uh pay and he said yeah. no, you get in one week and um i left with my tail between my legs you know yeah. but the over the weekend i still had my little pass they hadn't got rid of that to get into the building and uh people have told me that i dumped something in the president's uh, office <laughs> in his drawer that that um lingered for three days until monday and I, and I and i think you know what i'm talking about i left it in his drawer i think i do but, but when I he told we- me i only had one week severance i saw a who tape sitting a pete townsend tape sitting on the on the his, ta- his desk and i grabbed yeah. it because it was a new pete townsend so well yeah and i said well i'll get these guys back but anyway <laughs> so i'm without a job for 30 days and i'm going and yeah I just bought a house, and my wife is going. What's happening? And I'm, and I'm kind of going. I don't know. Yeah. And 30 days later, a guy by the name of Charlie Miner called me from ABC Records and said, "Do you want to take this job? Our album promotion guy is gone." And I didn't even ask what the salary was. I just said, "Yes." yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, um, next thing that happened is the, the, the doorbell rang, and. Um, Uh, there was a bottle of Dom Perignon champagne for me and a dozen red roses for my wife's and a note from Charlie going you will love working with me and Charlie Miner was the kingpin of top 40 radio at the time there was nobody like Charlie Miner so yeah he hired me Yeah. and I'm watching him work and I'm going good god this guy's like a machine (laughs) and uh, so uh, three days later into my job I opened my closet door and a record fell out. And it was a white jacket. And I opened the vinyl up and there's nothing on the vinyl. And I'm kind of a radio guy. And I said, Well, I'm just going to skip lunch right now. I'm going to listen to this record.
0: Yeah.
1: I hear a Breakdown. I hear American Girl. And I'm every hair in my body standing up. There's goosebumps going, Oh my God, these guys are good. Who the hell are
0: they? Yeah,
1: are of course. I uh, I said, I got to listen to it again in headphones this time. If you, and I'll tell you is, if you have never listened to the first album of Tom Petty's on headphones, do it.
0: Oh, of course. I mean, it's the only way to listen to music if you really want to hear it.
1: Yeah, well, Tom and... Petty and them had this thing where vocals were going back and forth and guitars were going, Mike Campbell's guitars were going this way in your brain. Yeah. So the second time I listened to it, I even got more in a trance. And I sat there maybe for five, ten minutes going... God my, this is a good record. So I went to my yeah. boss, Charlie Meyer. I, I held up this white album. I said, who are these guys? And he grabbed the record out of his sleeve. And 10 seconds later, he goes, oh, that's a punk band, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. And, and I'm, I'm going, uh, what do you mean a punk band? This is not a punk band, Charlie.
0: Not even close. I mean, how do you listen to Breakdown and come up with punk?
1: But he never listened to the record.
0: Well, the or or Mystery Man or or hometown blues, like these are not punk songs. I mean, you holy moly! Never molly. listened to
1: the record because yeah. promotion is promotion people to promote Marilyn McCoo and Billy Day. Yeah. and uh, the cover, you know, threw off a lot of people because he had black right. leather jacket on, bullets around his neck, and um, that threw a lot of people. It did, and. Um, When he said they're a punk band, I'm going, what are you talking about? This is one of the greatest rock and roll records I've heard in freaking years. Yeah. And he said, come on. I said, no, Charlie. He said, well, we're dropping him from the label because it's been out for eight months, which I didn't know. Yeah. And and I said, what do you mean you're dropping him from the label? He said, well, they're a punk band. That's what radio is telling us. They're a punk band. And I was not buying that at all because I knew what I heard. Yes. You know, when you listen to a record, I know I can tell right from now, you you hear a record you like, you're gonna go, holy crap. Yeah. This is good.
0: But I like that the, there's a quote later on in the book where you say, you, you tell someone, look, just ignore the black jacket and the bullets around his neck. Just listen to the fucking record. <laughs> Please, just listen to the record.
1: After, after, so I begged Charlie to give me six weeks to try and get this record yep. played on the radio. That was my job, getting going, radio station. Yeah. And uh, he said, no, we're dropping him. And I got down on my knees and I begged him, just give me six weeks. That's all I want, six weeks. Yeah. And he finally said all right you got six weeks clock is counting right now and so i'll go back to my office i start calling radio stations or friends of mine they go well we never is this that punk guy <laughs> going, oh my god this cover of tom petty's record just hurt him like crazy yeah and people were never playing jackson brown and So and nash and you know linda ronstadt and uh, Johnny Mitchell and the yep. punk records really at that time being played, maybe a few but not many and um, um, so I'm kind of, I was kind of baffled calling my friends at radio going oh, we didn't even listen to it and I, I did never did have the chance to ask Tom, why did you do that cover on the first record?
0: Yeah, you wonder here because you think obviously, I mean, it, it's the first album and they're not going to invest all their money into a new act, but you would think that someone would say, well, just image-wise, does this album cover align with the music that's on that's on the disc? I mean, you can be abstract with album covers, but if it's going to be a person, it should be, it should represent who they are. Right. And that definitely, like you said, I mean, I think that definitely threw threw them off for, well, eight months. There you go, eight months.
1: For eight months, the record is, had been out and did, what so, 12,000 copies. Yeah. And there's some stations that did play it in San Francisco, KSAN in San Francisco and Boston, WBCN, they were kind of like the two stations that were playing it and getting reaction and there was a few others in san jose but mostly nobody was playing the record right except for these three or four stations and um <laughs> i was going i'm looking at my, my boss would walk by and go it's uh you got five uh, days left here, <laughs> but you're getting any ads on this guy, Tom Petty. And I'm I'm really <laughs> struggling. I really am. Yeah. And that's when my friend Charlie Kendall came to Los Angeles. Yeah. And Charlie was a friend of mine. He he was born in Clarksdale, Mississippi. And um, when I was a DJ, he used to listen to me. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. And then all of a sudden he got transferred to Los Angeles to start a new rock station and called T- KWST right. they were competing with KMET in Los Angeles the big rock station yeah Mitchell Reed and Jim ladd and uh, the last dj and um yep and so i took the record over to charlie's house this is like a day or two after i had heard it and he said i have no idea who these guys are are they a punk band god <laughs> <laughs> just listen to this record he sat down put the headphones on and afterwards he was in a trance he was like yeah who the hell are these guys this is one of the best effing records i've heard in years so to myself i'm going thank god someone gets it yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) here's the way i do and um so he said are they any good live and i'm like i just discovered the record by accident three days ago i have no clue if they're any good but i did know they're playing the whiskey this coming Saturday night by chance, opening for Blondie. And he was going, we're going, right? I went, hell yeah, we're going. <laughs> because at that time, I was like a Tom Petty fanatic. Yeah. And um, I remember trying to get people from ABC Records to go to the concert with me that night, the whiskey. And, like, nobody gave a damn about him. They just said, "He's his career's over, it's eight months old. Yeah. And I, kind of at that point, I didn't care, but we, we get to the concert and first record, I think he played old Carol by the, by Chuck, the Chuck Berry song. Yeah. And Charlie and I looked at each other and went, God dang. And then he played breakdown and Charlie leans over to me and said, I'm going to start playing this record once an hour, every hour on Monday morning. So cool. <laughs> and the promo, man, I'm like, this is huge. Yeah. And, um, so they, play, they played a 35 minutes set, no encore. There was probably 15 people in the whiskey at the time. Yeah. Nobody knew who Tom Petty was. And uh, so I, I said, I've got to go meet this guy. Yeah.
0: I was going to say to you, John, though, quickly, though, that when you, you talk about that in the book, but I think there's something about if you can come out and play to 15 people and play with that same energy and intensity and right. passion that it can still impress two music oh. people. He's not You're not just punters. You're... You're industry professionals. That yeah. says something about a band, right? If you've got 500 people in your room and there's already an energy there, well, you can feed off that 15 people. If you can still rock the joint, man, you know you've got something there, right?
1: Absolutely. And that's when I said, uh, well, they did a 35-minute set, no encore. Yeah. And um, Charlie and I looking at each other going, my God, this band is good. So I said, well, I got to meet this guy, Tom Petty. Yeah. So I go upstairs and there he is. He's wiping sweat off his face with a towel and I said hey Tom Petty my name is John Scott I'm the new guy at ABC Records and he looked at me and said go fuck yourself <laughs> at that point I knew I knew why he was frustrated because we were about to drop him Yeah, his record sold 12,000 copies he had been beat up by the machine so I, I did understand why. but at the time he was my favorite band in the world the new band that I've ever heard and I said, well, you ever heard your record on the radio in Los Angeles? In Los Angeles, he went, no, why? I said, well, there's a new station in town that's going to play your record once an hour, every hour. And he went, "Go no, fuck yourself. <laughs> and you can edit this out if you want, but no. Tom said, hey, Stan to Stan Lynch, yeah. tell this guy what ABC Records stands for. And I'm brand new. I have no clue what he's going to say. Right. ABC. Stan said it stands for a bunch of cocksuckers. Yes. <laughs> and again, I, I just kind of knew that they'd just been beat up by this machine. Yeah. Not promoting. They were advertising them in punk magazines and teen magazines. Anyway, so after Stan told us what it was, I turned. Tom said, just get out of here these two guys are another two abc nut jobs yeah i have no idea what you're doing you're telling me you're gonna break i told him i'm gonna break your career wide open yeah he just started laughing and um i think i got another barrage of f-bombs
0: <laughs> right <laughs>
1: and he said "Just get out of here and the roadie came over starting to usher, usher us out and, I, and like again i don't know why i'm saying this because i didn't know <laughs> what i was doing i said tom Petty, my name is john scott don't you ever forget my name because every time you hear your record on the radio you're going to think of me and again this is just flying out of my mouth i have yeah. no clue that i can do what i'm saying <laughs> but i knew i knew and charlie and i walked out of the whiskey being thrown out and we were laughing at each other because we were saying he has no idea what's about to happen yeah 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 and wednesday uh the following wednesday the manager called me up and said who are you I said, well, I'm the new guy at ABC. He said, well, you pissed off my artist.
0: That's Tony. Tony Tony was
1: Tony. Yeah. Yeah. I love Tony. But he said, you pissed off my artist. You told him you're going to break his career. You know you can't do it. It's eight yeah. months old. We're being dropped. Who are you? I said, I, I love your band. That's all. Yeah. And uh, then Friday, well, I set up a meeting with Tony to go meet him. And Friday, I get a call. My assistant said, Tom Petty's on the phone. I'm going, oh, my God. This could, this could go either way. I don't know if he's going to tell me to do whatever, you know. But he picked up. The, I picked up the phone and I said, "Hey, Tom, how you doing?" He said, uh, "John." And he said, "I got a Southern drawl. Of course, he's from the South." Yep. He said, um, "My friends are telling me they're hearing my record on the radio, a lot." And I just heard that Tower Records ordered two hundred fifty copies of my record. Are you serious about what you're talking about? And I went, Tom. I'm going to break your career wide open. He said, I wanna meet you. I said, how about tonight? He said, okay. (laughs) I scribbled his address down and I flew over there, man. Yeah. (laughs) Because I I knew. Yeah. I knew, and I think you know what that feeling is. Absolutely. I think,
0: again, I'm gonna interrupt too much, but the first time you hear a great album, it, it's not, it, it, you just, it's the feeling of it, right? I remember the first time I used to sit in front of my dad's record player and playing T-Rex and Kinks. And the first time I dropped the needle on Zepp, Led Zeppelin 4 and Black Dog kicks in, sure. it's just like, whoa, what is yeah. this? Yeah. This is for exactly. me. And it just, it hits yeah. you there, right? You just know. It's you like Procol no Harum, yes. Harum,
1: Denny Cordell at Shelter produced that record and you hear yeah. Lighter Shade of Pale and you go, oh my God, that yeah. is a freaking great record.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Anyway, so I go to Tom's house yep. and um, um, I walk in the door and I see a big Confederate flag. And, you know, we didn't really know what the Confederate flag said for his kids. Yep. We were really never taught about the Civil War if you're living in the South.
0: Yeah, of course. Anyway,
1: so. I said, well, this is good. He's a Southern boy. I'm a Southern boy. And he said, you want to go outside and smoke a joint? And I said, sure, let's go. And we just, I told him about my career, except for the Johnny Cougar part. Yeah. And uh, I said, well, have you been in the other bands? He said, yeah, you never heard of them. They're called Mudcrutch. And I go, you mean Depot Street? How the hell do you know Depot Street? Time <laughs> and this is another part of the story that kind of like, it was serendipity all the way. This was supposed to meant to happen. Yeah. And I tell him while well, I worked at MCA Records, I loved Mudcrutch they never had an album out. They were dropped from RCA, yep. And um, we just stared at each other for about 30 seconds like, wait a minute. He said, you're telling me you're going to break my career and you know who Mudcrunch is. He said, only three stations in America played Mudcrunch. And I said, I got two of the stations. <laughs> and he's looking at me like, this is like the moment of... I can't even describe this moment. We just stared at each other, like, "What's, what's going on here?" Yeah. And it's one of those moments where I can't even explain it. It was like one of those blissful moments that we just go and look at each other, going, "Something's going to happen." Yeah. And um, I asked him. I, I went and he said, "You want to hear some stuff we've been working on?" I went, "Yeah, sure." We go inside he's got a tape recorder a little small tape recorder he plays listen to her heart
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: and i i said play that song again. i must have said play it five times in a row because yeah. it blew me away so um by that time breakdown had started making some noise at the fm stations yeah and um uh, I called KSAN in San Francisco. I said, can you guys keep playing Breakdown? And she said, John, we've been playing it for eight months. How can I play Breakdown again? She said, give me something new, like a live version. And I went, yeah. bingo, live version. And I called Tom. I said, would you like to do a concert with Charlie Kendall Station? And I need a I need a live breakdown. It's never been recorded live. And I said, where would you like to do this? If you did this, where would you like to do it? Capitol Records in Los Angeles. So I called Capitol Records and I booked a concert there. Live broadcast on KWST. We had 50 contest winners sitting in the floor of the big Capitol Records
0: yeah.
1: recording studio. And Frank Sinatra recorded there. And Dean Martin and anyway well, they give bro's,
0: me i was just gonna say though, is, yeah. i love the way that and you do this in the book i love how you, you just throw out these names like oh, i just i just booked the Capitol record studio as if that's you know as if that's nothing if that's, that's me just booking a pizza <laughs> it's, just, it's so much it's so cool i love no, it i know <laughs>
1: uh, can we can we uh, <laughs> concerted with tom petty of course nobody knew who he was but we yeah. we, it, it, we booked it and uh, I told Tom before, and I said, I need the baddest kick-ass version of Breakdown you've ever done in your life. Yeah. And he knew what I was talking about, and he did like a seven-minute version of Breakdown. It's on yeah. one of the buried treasure, I think, albums from Capitol Records. And man, Mike Campbell just just kills it. One of the greatest guitar player players there is in the world. He doesn't do dues, But anyway... Um, when we heard the live version of Breakdown, we put it on a reel-to-reel tape. And we sent it to every station, FM station in America. Yeah. And it was seven minutes long. And all of a sudden, people started playing that record.
0: not crazy? Seven minutes and people are playing it.
1: <laughs> it was that kick-ass. You go yeah. back and listen to Tom Petty and, I mean, um, Breakdown on, at Capitol Records. It's on one of the discs.
0: It is on one of the... Maybe it's on... Would it be on live anthology or...?
1: Yeah, it's on one of them. And it's just mind-blowing. Yeah. And I think that was the song. We sent out um, reel-to-reel tapes to every FM station in America.
0: God, that must have been expensive. Because reel-to-reel wasn't cheap.
1: I don't know. ABC had their own studio there. Okay. All I know is I just said, give me 100 (laughs) hundred real to real versions of this I mean so, you know 100 copies of this version of Breakdown, and we sent it out yeah. station. I'm not sure if that's the time. I said, "Hey, just listen to the fucking record, don't look at problems." Right. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> And all of a sudden people started break, FM stations started playing breakdown, and all of a sudden my boss, who had been the guy who said, don't, don't promote Tom Pace said, "I think yeah. you're on to something here." I'm going to get it played at the Top 40 radio.
0: Yeah.
1: All of a sudden, top 40 radio started playing the single version of Breakdown. And all of a sudden, every FM station in America started playing Breakdown. Yeah. And he said, I think you're onto something. I went, I know I'm onto something. This is one of the greatest rock bands I've ever seen in my life. So anyway, um, he said, Well, I'm gonna to try to make it a hit. I'm, I'm gonna to try to, I'm gonna go to the top 40 and try to make this record a hit. It had been released in 1976. Yep. Nothing happened. Nothing, yep. In 1977, we re-released it towards the end of the year. And all of a sudden, top 40 stations started playing it. Yeah. It made it number, it made it to number 40 on the charts. A record that had been out for eight months. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, that's that's really kind of unheard of. Yeah, record that's eight months old. All of a sudden, it's starting to happen.
0: Well, a rock and roll record back then, even more so. Right? I mean, it, it just because there were so many, so many good bands coming through that, yeah. if you didn't make it, you just like you said. I mean, Christ! I mean, six weeks away from <laughs> that record just being dropped. It, it's it dropped. terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying, actually, because that could have just disappeared. Well, that see, whole record it, just disappeared. I think
1: so many artists, like I said. You know, a president of a record company put their record on the turntable and go, I don't like this record. And toss it in the can. This guy, yeah. his career is over.
0: And so, that must be... So, I can't even imagine how frustrating that is for A&R and the PR guys, where you know, you know that this is quality, and you get someone who's not a music guy, he's a numbers guy, he's a money guy, right. who's making the final decision. That must, exactly. be, that must be a tough industry to work in.
1: Oh my God, it was. <laughs> but, yeah. but... Um... This guy named Charlie Kendall, who was my friend at yeah. KWST, um he started playing the record once an hour, yeah. every hour. Yeah. Our records ordered 500 copies in the middle of the week. And all of a sudden. The sales guys are coming in at me going, what are you doing? This record's eight <laughs> I said, it's a hit record. Yeah. <laughs> and um anyway, um The live version is what I really think broke Tom Petty's career because nobody ever heard Breakdown live. Yeah. Especially as badass as this one was. And...
0: um, Was that common back then, John? Was it common for bands to to sort of record live versions of their songs and send those out to the radio as well alongside the... No, no,
1: it wasn't common. So
0: So that live version of Breakdown hits big, and that's the one that you think is... It hits.
1: The FM stations are going... All over the seven-minute version, the top yeah. forty stations are feeling that because it's selling. It's actually selling. Yeah, and they play the short version. And my boss, Charlie Miner, said, "I'm going to make it a hit record on the top forty side." Yeah, and so it goes to number forty on the charts. He came in one day and said, "Okay, your six weeks are over. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it."
0: Yeah. Hey everyone, it's me again. Um, this is where we're going to wrap up this first episode. John has done what he set out to do and broken Tom Petty and the Heartbreaker's career wide open against the odds in six weeks or less than just less than six weeks uh, but the story's far from over. And Next week I'll give you the next part of this fantastic discussion in which he'll talk about how his relationship with Tom grew over the years what Tom means to him artistically and personally and, and what the future holds. We also have a good laugh about fax machines. Until we meet again... Keep listening to Tom Petty and share his music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy and I'll be back with you next week for part two. Bye bye.